We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. We have more NFL owners meeting stuff to dive into. Kyle Shanahan talked about Brock Purdy's injury timeline. The NFL has an update on the third quarterback rule, the emergency quarterback rule. And players are allowed to wear number zero again. Chris and I have takes. And then we will talk with new 49ers defensive back Miles Hartsfield. Signed a one-year deal from Carolina, an undrafted free agent uh, signee by Carolina in the 20 or following the 2020 draft. Played in three seasons there, 41 games, 19 starts. A nickel, a safety, does a little bit of everything. Really fun conversation with him where we talk about his time in, in Carolina playing against San Francisco and what the process was like for him uh, signing with San Francisco and Steve Wilkes' role in that. So let's uh, let's dive into all of this. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory! Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown! Close has got him, and a sack him back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. I was going to text you about the number zero thing because you're, I'm sure I have other friends who have strong Jersey number takes, but you're the only person that I talk about them with, but (laughs) I wanted to open the pod with it and didn't want to know your takes beforehand. So what are your thoughts on the number zero, which is now available to all NFL players, except for offensive linemen and defensive linemen? Oh, I get. I hadn't thought about like positionally what it could what it could mean. I mean, it would be kind of cool. I'm curious to see if they're like one of the incoming quarterbacks might take number zero. Like, I, I think it's kind of cool. Like, what I think is a little weird. Like, is double zero going to be a number? I think it's a little weird in the NBA. You can have zero and double zero as like yeah. different numbers, right? I mean, I, mean, I guess it doesn't matter, but like mathematically, they're exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> right one's just placeholder for for two digits versus one yeah no i think it's cool i i'm for i'm for the number thing i the one thing like i think like it's it's obviously about jersey sales right like you're you're more likely to buy 
or I think fans just in general are more likely to buy a jersey if it's like single digit, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool, you know. But like one thing that I do miss about the old number system was you had a much better idea of like what position that guy played based on his number. Sure. Now it's like if it, it like if it's special teams, if there's somebody wearing number three, he could be a safety, a running back, a receiver, or a corner, and you don't really have like you know what position is that guy play? Not that it super or a matters. quarterback. Shout out to Cody Pickett or a short yes or a quarterback. Um, so I don't know. I think it's cool. I think it's probably just another opportunity for the NFL to sell jerseys, really, because like there's going to be a cool player with the number zero, and then that's going to be like a cool social media thing, and it'll sell some jerseys. Because I think I think generally, like with how many NBA stars wear zero, I think it'll be something that like gets um gets popular pretty quick in the NFL. Yeah, it's Damian Lillard. Gilbert Arenas wore it a long time ago. Dante DiVincenzo wears it. Russell Westbrook. Oh, Russell Westbrook, of course. Malik Malik Monk, my guy. Oh, I didn't know that was number zero. Yeah, Malik Monk. Watch a Kings game, bro. Three season. I I do. I don't pay I don't pay close enough attention to know what number Malik freaking Monk wears. Wow. Come on. Come on. Just what do you think this is? Blatantly (laughs) disrespect. No, it's not. I just, I'm not, I'm not. Six man, the, six man the, of the year candidate, Malik Monk. Yeah, that's him. Three seed in the West, just disrespecting him on, on the record. Big time. On the big on the time. Podcast. If I'm going to dis, look, don't shade <laughs> me like this. If I'm going to disrespect any Kings player, it's going to be Harrison Barnes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> the ni- just the nicest guy. <laughs> no, yeah, Harry, um, Harry. no, Harrison, Harry B is great. No, I, I, uh, I my one thing with the number zero, I think Calvin Ridley has already the Jags already announced that he's going to wear number zero in his return, so that's kind of a cool thing. Great, but the fact that a nose tackle can't throw the number zero on is really disappointing. It is kind of funny. Like six one three hundred and ten pound dude just in the zero. I do like that with college. Like in in college, they treat it as like if you're a star on the team, you get to wear a single digit uniform. Yeah. Like I, I do kind of like that. That's what I think. That's that's honestly what I think a team should do. And and he probably can't because of the way the NFL's weird jersey rules work. With you have to buy all your jersey if you're going to change your number or whatever. Yeah. But but if you did a thing where it's like, hey, your special teams ace, your number one special teams guy every year is just going to wear zero. I think that'd be really cool. Or your if, best offensive player, or your best defensive guy is going to wear zero, like number ten in soccer. Sure. Like number ten is your star. I I don't know. Good opportunity, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's kind of fun. Yes. How about Levi's? I just wanted to start there. How about Levi's Stadium potentially getting a Super Bowl and after the twenty twenty five season, February twenty twenty six? Some are calling it a travesty, <laughs> but <laughs> I I. I I'm in. I didn't live here when the Super Bowl was here, so I, I missed all the hubbub. So I would like yeah. to exist in the hubbub. So I think the issue, like I generally thought it was fine. I thought the game was fine. Uh, obviously, like February 2016, I think it was, was the Super Bowl, and it was it was like yes. peak drought where it was like 65 degrees at kickoff. You know, obviously this winter has been very different and maybe who knows what what the winter that year will look like. But like weather was super pleasant. I remember because in the it, we were in the uh, or I was in the auxiliary press box 
for that one. And I was out in the sun for most of the afternoon. And even in February, that sun was like not ideal. Um, your boy was cooking a little bit, but uh, no, I, I, I like, I thought the stadium was fine. I think from my understanding, like the practice the situations for the teams were like practicing at, I believe they practice at Stanford and San Jose state. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And like, that was all fine. The uh, Carolina, they had their team availability in downtown San Jose, which was fine. And Denver, the Broncos had theirs at the Marriott right by Levi stadium, um, which was generally okay. But the issue was all of the media stuff was in downtown San Francisco. And typically how like you have to pick up your credentials and like radio row and like all of that stuff. If you're a media member, you have to get all of that stuff in San Francisco. Whereas all the media access and all the interviews you do is all down in San Jose, which is obviously not ideal. So like from the travel perspective, it was tough on the media people. And I could see why the the media folks would, would be a little irritated at that because like, I mean, that's kind of how it was in Miami, like with the media hotels were all out by the airport and then the convention center um, where Radio Row was and getting your credentials and stuff was like all the way out in South Beach yeah. and like trying to get to South Beach from the airport with traffic could take you like an hour. And that's sort of similar to like this, you know, San Francisco, San Jose dynamic. You mean North Beach? No, South, South Beach. South Beach is Miami. I, yeah, I said South Beach. Oh, you're talking about, I'm I sorry, about I missed Miami. that. I missed that transition. Sorry, sorry. I was talking about the Niners Super Bowl in Miami. Got it. Um, I heard Niners Super Bowl and thought San Francisco. Right. So you obviously, from a media perspective, you would love to have your credential pickup, Radio Row, all the access be in the same spot, but it's just scattered. So like, you know, I, I, it personally doesn't impact me all that much, but if you were a beat writer covering one of the teams or just a, a media member in general, like it could definitely be a hassle, but no, I mean, the Bay area in February is beautiful. I think it's cool. Um, obviously not a long history of teams hosting Super Bowls playing in that, in that Super Bowl. Um, but it did happen two years in a row with with Tampa and LA recently, which is kind of interesting. But um, there's enough there's enough hotels, like nice hotels, and just empty office space in Santa Clara that you should be able to do mostly everything in Santa Clara. And I get that they want to like showcase San Francisco because it is the San Francisco 49ers and and that's a bigger touristy area. Like I get that, but for all the media stuff, there's no reason that it can't be closer. Also, San Francisco is just like a tough city to get around in. Like you would generally have if everything was in the San Jose Convention Center or even the Santa Clara Convention Center, which is right across the street from Levi's. Mm-hmm. It would it wouldn't be ideal from like, wow, this isn't all that glamorous, but like it would be fine from a logistical perspective. I would think if there are enough hotels and, you know, I know the the league has all these crazy requirements and stuff, but no, I, I think it would be fine. I think it's probably a good showcase event for the stadium. I think the state, I think Levi stadium for as much grief as it gets. And you know, the sun I think is probably the biggest issue with it. Well, like it's a better stadium than Arizona. It's a better stadium than Miami. Um, it's a better stadium than new Orleans. I know the atmosphere in new Orleans is crazy. And the location of that stadium is amazing. Well, like you get in the bowels of, of the Mercedes Benz, whatever Superdome. It's not particularly nice. There's nothing new about it. There's nothing state of the art about it. Like it's fine. It's just a stadium. So like 
it's proven over and over again. You don't need like some this. It, not every stadium needs to be Jerry World or SoFi to host a Super Bowl. Right. So I think Levi's in February is just fine. But Levi's is honestly like one of my biggest critiques of it is the stadium, is that it does feel a little bit sterile. Yeah, and like, I, fair. I mean, it's it's like clearly the home of the 49ers, but also if you there, it just I don't know. It's just a, I think that that critique of sterility is honestly one of the things it has going for it for hosting an event like the Super Bowl or the college football playoff national championship game or whatever, because it is meant to be attended by like like a lot of people. There like are that, it, that, I know that sounds dumb, but like Candlestick was not meant to hold the amount of people that Candlestick held. Right. 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 Yeah. Candlestick was originally built to be a baseball stadium. Right. And Levi's very much built for hosting a full football stadium. Yeah. Like, yeah, I agree with you that Levi's generally is sterile. I think the design, the fact that they basically took the same design that they were going to put at Candlestick Point that had the big hill that would have blocked the sun in the mm-hmm. afternoon and provided shade for the entire stadium taking that design and then putting it out in a place where that hill didn't exist and having all of those seats just facing directly into the sun like a tanning booth probably not ideal but like you know i it's fine there, <laughs> i would encourage people to like if you can like go travel around stadiums but particularly in the nfl there are very few stadiums that are like oh man this is so amazing it's like all you really need in an nfl stadium is good food and good sight lines and like accessibility, egress and ingress, right? And those are probably in like getting to and getting out of Levi's and the parking and all that. Probably the biggest issues, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But again, where I don't, I don't find it particularly compelling to just bash the stadium because I know you know people have their issues with it. Um, but no, it's I think also it's totally at- fine for a Super Bowl. And atmosphere wise, it's a lot better than it was. 10 years ago which is about whatever. winning right yeah. yeah you win you win games you have a good team you host playoff games you're going to have a good atmosphere the niners have yeah. a good atmosphere at their games because yes. they have a good team right like if you have a good team and you don't have a good atmosphere it's not the stadium's fault something else is going on yeah no doubt um kosh says brock purdy could there's there's a check-in at the three-month mark but after john lynch on monday said like yeah hey hopefully get him back by training camp kyle shanahan's going pump the brakes it could be week one it could be week four it could be training camp and this is the first time i've heard and maybe i missed something but this is the first time i've heard that eight month mark where he could be missing the first three four games and that 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 helps explain and to me, change a lot of how they've operated at quarterback this offseason. Yeah, I think it was always, you know, they wanted to be positive about it because you just always want to exude confidence and everything. If you're in the NFL, that's just part of, of what but, these guys do. Especially with but, injuries. Yeah, but it was always a little bit unrealistic in my mind to just assume that, you know, even after Brock Purdy waits until March to have the surgery, that he was up. Yeah, he's just going to be fine for training camp. Like Kyle Shanahan, that, that was the thing he said. He was like, we don't know when exactly he's going to be back. It could be he's fully cleared by August. 
and it could be he's not fully cleared till week four. And that's what kind of the external discussion has been while like the post at the, the press conference after losing um, the, the end of season press conference after the NFC championship game was like, yeah, we're optimistic. He's going to be back for training camp. But I think that was a little bit unrealistic to just assume that he was going to be the start. So that's, that's essentially what Kyle Shanahan said. Like, we don't know. Right. We're hopeful. We're hopeful, but we don't know. And that goes further to explain why you get Sam Darnold to add to the mix with Trey Lance, because frankly, you don't know. And you don't know, you don't know about Brock Purdy's health for the beginning of the season. You don't really know a whole lot about Trey Lance other than, you know, he like you invested in him. He should know the playbook, but you don't know what it's going to look like when he comes off the ankle injury and how he's going to practice and all of that. So you go get Sam Darnold as an insurance policy, or maybe somebody who can push Trey Lance if you think Trey Lance needs pushing. So well, that's somebody who can back up Trey Lance if Trey Lance has to start four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And vice and, versa, I guess. And you, you just almost have to, like in the NFL, just generally with any position, you almost have to assume like, okay, our backup is going to play a lot at some point. So ideally mm-hmm. we would get a backup who we feel like there's not going to be a whole lot of drop off if he does have to play. And right. given that, Trey Lance could very well start the season. You would need a backup (laughs) because we saw Trey Lance go down with a season ending ankle injury five quarters into last season. Right. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm fascinated though to see just kind of how this all shakes out. Like my, my, I don't necessarily have a take here, but it's just like, I've been of the mind that, like we said last episode, the off season and training camp and some preseason games probably aren't enough to undo what Brock Purdy did last year in the eyes of the 49ers decision makers where Lance nor Darnold are going to play well enough. I think in that stretch for them to be like, Oh, that that's who should start over the guy that went seven and one, including the playoffs. But it it does get interesting where let's say Lance wins wins the 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 job and Purdy's out for three weeks, like they're just maybe he's back and he's throwing, but they're like yeah not not ready to take contact yet or whatever it is, and the Niners go three and zero in those games and Lance plays well, like that's where this all gets interesting and that's one of the things that I think is is a key difference for the way Kyle Shanahan views this, and maybe 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 John Lynch as well, versus how. I think we have been viewing this and how and how fans have been viewing it. I don't think this is a like I don't necessarily think this is a decision one way or another on like, okay, whichever quarterback is the starter is gonna be the franchise guy. And if they're QB one in week one, they're the guy forever. I think Kyle Shanahan views this as like, yeah, there's three guys here and we might need all of them. So it's a starter, but then it's also two other good players. And there's not like declarations going to be made one way or another based on the outcomes of this off season. Yeah. I think you have to play it as good as Brock Purdy was. I think you just have to play it. Like it it has to be a day by day scenario. Mm -hmm. Like I'm to the point where if I'm Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy doesn't come in until, you know, the, the, the third week in August, 
So he's, he's cleared to practice and can participate in team drills the third week in August. I'm not, I'm probably not putting Brock Purdy just with the first team right away after Trey Lance yeah. spends, you know, four months w- with, with the starters running, you know, running the offense or three months with the starters running the offense. Like I need to see like, okay, can Brock Purdy throw? Like, did he forget how to play football <laughs> in all this time off? Yeah. Right. Like these are all, these are all possibilities. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I think Brock Purdy's like going to forget how to play football. I'm just saying like, I would need to see him execute at a reasonably high level before I'm just like, all right, he's our starter. So this yeah. all, this all like, and once Brock Purdy gets to that point where you watch him practice and it's like, okay, he looks like Brock Purdy again. Then he's the starter because he has the equity based on what he did, but you still have to see it. Right. So like, the and there's also me- the psychological thing returning from injuries. Yeah. And Trey Lance it? is going through that too. Right. So I, I just think like it's something that's going to be very fluid. Um, I would not imagine. I mean, I don't know. I'm not Kyle Shanahan. Maybe he feels comfortable enough with Brock Purdy where it's like, okay, saw Brock Purdy practice three times uh, with the starters. Like he's, he's our week one guy. Like, does he have that much equity or do you, you know, it's, it's all going to be I, like, it's not cut and dry. I don't think, I don't think it's a scenario where no. it's just like, okay, he's, he's cleared to practice. Now he's our starter. Right. Like even like, look, look at it like this. Like, remember how sort of controversial or at least difficult of a decision it seemed to be when the 49ers gave Jimmy Garoppolo the five-year contract after just five games mm-hmm. shouldn't that yeah, be was, sort of uh... shouldn't that be like provide sort of a lesson like maybe we don't want to overreact after a relatively small sample size mm-hmm. right and like there were things garoppolo did and, and obviously i was for the extension i was for i was for trading for him even before it happened like i was a jimmy garoppolo guy i wrote when I ran Niners Wire, I wrote, I did like a power rankings of possible 49ers franchise quarterbacks. And I think I did it. The offseason Kyle Shanahan was hired and Jimmy Garoppolo was number one because he was, you know, the guy who was so often talked about in trades and like the, where the Browns going to get him, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I don't know. I, I just think that sort of provides a test case of like how you react to a small sample size. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo was really good. He was statistically a top five quarterback throughout those five games in 2017. But Jimmy Garoppolo never again was consistently a top five quarterback in the NFL. Right. right. And you you won games with him, sure. But like, I think those to, to say 2017 painted the full picture of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think would be faulty. Because, yeah, he played really well in a small sample. But that's ultimately not the quarterback you got over the extent of his time with the 49ers. And sure, maybe Brock, Brock Purdy is a different guy and maybe he's a rocket ship and maybe he's, you know, you give him more playing time, the better he's going to get. But the mm-hmm. history of the league says it's more likely than not that he's going to come back down to earth rather than ascend. Yeah. So I, I if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm looking at this like, I would not anoint anybody. <laughs> I would need to see it from Brock in practice 
and maybe even in a preseason game. And look, I'm not a preseason guy. I don't think preseason matters at all. But I would need to see him do it a little bit before just saying, oh, yeah, he did this last year. Like, no, nah, man, he's got he had major elbow surgery. He didn't participate in the offseason program. Like, I need to see a little bit more from him before just saying, OK, here are the keys. Go win a Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. And then there's regression on the table, too. Even if he's ready and he plays in a preseason game and is fine and he's the week one starter. Like, let's just go to that world. There's a chance that, hey, a couple of those throws that didn't get intercepted, get intercepted. And you know what? His maneuvering in the pocket isn't as confident and concise now because he got hit in the arm and tore his UCL. And there's some lingering um, trepidation from that. And, okay, now he's taking more sacks than he was. And it's just like there's there's a there's a very real chance that he does kind of regress and the Niners are looking at week six or seven where they're you know two or three and four and the discussion becomes hey it's should Trey Lance be inserted as a starter Sam Darnold be inserted as the starter I think that's definitely that that is as on the table to me as Brock Purdy just steps in and it's like oh the Niners are gonna win 13 games this year yeah I would agree and like there's there there are other areas on the team that could regress that also impact Purdy. Yeah. If the yeah. defense isn't the best defense in the league and all of a sudden the Niners have to score 30 points a game to win, like we don't know that Brock Purdy can necessarily do that. Yeah, and they did at the end of last year, but that that also I mean, a there were a couple games where they had like defensive scores and turnovers deep in in opponent territory. Uh, they didn't play like a f- slate of really awesome defenses. And then when you got to the postseason, you saw him struggle in the first half against the Seahawks. He struggled against the Cowboys. And then obviously got hurt in in, in the third postseason game. But I, I'm, I get why. Like, we talked about it yesterday. Logically, it tracks. The guy went 7-1, and one, had 13 touchdowns and four picks, and completed 67% of his throws. Like, he was really good. But I don't think that that's enough to just go, oh, yeah, pencil him in. Yeah, I just need to see him do it. Just need to see him do it in practice and do it before. It's just like, all right, Brock's, you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't think he's, he, frankly, I don't think he's done enough. And maybe, maybe I'm way off on this. I don't know. But it, just to be like, all right, Brock's cleared to practice. He's, he's going with the first team, I think would be a little crazy. Yeah, before he took any like if he got if his first few practices, he's getting second second team reps and, you know, then gets mixed in after it's clear, like, okay, Brock can play. He's fine. That would make more sense to me than just like, no, Brock is unquestionably the starter. Brock's a starter. Yeah, we have other guys who have started games before, but no, it's Brock, even though he hasn't done anything this offseason. He's coming off elbow surgery. That'd be that'd be kind of nuts. Yeah, but again, Kyle Shanahan knows far more than I do about developing quarterbacks. Does he? <laughs> Name one quarterback he's developed, Chris. Name mm-hmm. one quarterback he's developed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, define developed. He, he coached Matt Ryan. <laughs> Did he develop yeah. Matt Ryan into the MVP? Does that count? 
Hmm. He did pretty no, good with RG three before he got hurt. That count? No, because see, to me, if he no, mm -mm. he didn't develop him. That's no, no. That's all Kyle Shanahan's offense doing that. That's not Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> because Matt Ryan went back to being super mid after Kyle Shanahan left. Mm hmm. Robert Griffin the third only only successful in his college offense, college style oh. offense. Run by Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Okay. That is an interesting discussion. Like, who who would you say Kyle Shanahan developed the most? Like, Matt Schaub? Like, to me, a person playing well under Kyle Shanahan doesn't necessarily mean he, like, developed them as a quarterback. To me, also you doesn't develop mean he a guy didn't. that you wind up... I don't know. This is a weird conversation. Uh, that you wind up like, yeah, hey, uh, he turned it... I guess he kind of developed Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, he developed Jimmy Garoppolo to a certain extent. I mean, the, the term develop, he developed him is such like a... It's, it's a very it's a, wide range. It's term. a very ambiguous term. Yeah. That's why I used it as a... Right. Nick, Nick Mullins. <sighs> developed that hell out of him. <laughs> he dominated on Cleveland's practice squad. He's also game. gotten good quarterback play from a ton of quarterbacks. Whether... Right, that's, just, that's the thing. Does it count as does it count as developing them? I don't know. Okay. Questions questions for another day. Find out from Miles Hartsfield next. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't ask uh, him about developing quarterbacks. No, but we did ask him uh I thought a lot of fun questions. So, let's talk to let's talk to Miles. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Miles Hartsfield is here. Miles, thanks so much for hopping on with us today, uh, hanging out in your home. And uh, real quick, before we dive into uh, the kind of real stuff, the NFL just approved the number zero jersey number. Uh, you don't have a number yet. I don't think at least not, one is not listed. Would you choose the number zero? And if not, what number are you going to choose? 
I don't think zero is for me. I don't know. Nah, I'm not a big zero guy. Um, okay. You know, 38 was taken last year. I don't know if he's still going to be in 38 because, you know, it was kind of that number that was given to him. Um, mm -hmm. 38 would be the ideal number. But if not, I don't know what I'll be. Some Probably somewhere in the, the 20s or in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diometer Lenore, who wore 38 last year, did wear zero in college. So, so maybe he'll go to zero and I can get mm -hmm. my 38. There you go. What's the uh, what's the what's the significance of thirty eight for you? Um, it's just something I grew. You know, I grew up. I'm not grew up, but like in the last few years, Pop Smoke being from Jersey, okay. big in his songs. He's he has a song name uh, uh, Hawkum, and it says Big Thirty Eight Go Hawkum. So that's my my thing. I'm Big Thirty Eight, and I, I have a brand called Hawkum. Got it. All right. Very good. So, so go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So. I'm just curious about like the process, what it's like to to hit free agencies for the for the first time. Obviously, you came into the league undrafted. So what was that process like and, and what drew you to the 49ers and how big of a role did, did Steve Wilkes play uh, in you deciding to to come out to the Bay? Um, this process was it was like it was kind of like um, college recruiting all over again. And that not so big where like they're like calling you like, oh, we want you to come here, but more of like just seeing what the best opportunity was for me. And that's kind of how I chose college, um, seeing not only the glitz and gr grammar of everything, but seeing like diagnosing everything and seeing what was the best opportunity to be, you know, to become a better player and a better person at the same time. Um, and I think during that process, me and my agent really sat down. And knew with Coach Wilkes being my defensive coordinator and becoming my interim head coach and then becoming a, I mean, being my DB coach and then becoming the defensive coordinator here at uh, the 49ers, um, we kind of thought it was a no brainer for the opportunity and the opportunity to become better at my craft and learning from someone who's been doing it for so long. One of the things that really jumped out, you know, when when researching you after after you signed was you play a bunch of different positions. How much did that come up when you were talking with the Niners um, about, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into specifics of your role, but how much did your ability to play in the slot to play safety? Uh, how much did that come up? Uh, it's, it's always something I hang my hat on being able to be plugged in at any position at any time. Um, I really love the, the, the diagnosing of a playbook. So not only knowing my position, but knowing, you know, all 11, because what the defense end does is affects me at safety. So being able to, you know, make sure he's in the right spot, but also, you know, at nickel and safety, it's kind of the same, but in some ways it's different um, by, you know, the blitzing, the, you know, filling the gaps, what gaps, reading run pass and all that. But I think that I really hang my hat on being versatile ever since college, you know, in college, I harped on playing as many positions at any time. I remember our game versus Arkansas my senior year. I played six different positions in that one game. Wow. So I really just really, you know, and I, you know, like I said, I really harp on knowing the defense and to a T where if somebody goes down, coach can look at me. Okay, we got another safety we can put in, but we don't got another, you know, will linebacker. Let's put Miles there. He might not be the biggest, but he'll go and get the job <laughs> done. Um, but so that that's really something I really, um, I really pride myself on. So obviously, like in, in the NFL, so much of what coaches do is they develop their own sort of identity schematically, right? And then they they have certain personnel and then they adjust their schematics to fit their personnel. 
Um, you obviously having a good understanding of, of what Steve Wilkes' defense looked like in Carolina. What are your expectations for like how much different it could be with San Francisco, given that there is different personnel and maybe, a, you know, Chris Kasurik, defensive line coach doing more wide nine stuff. You mentioned um, def- where defensive ends line up impacts you maybe in the slot. Like how much of yeah. a transition is that? How much more stuff is there going to be more different stuff? Is there going to be for you than what you're used to in Carolina, even though it is the same coach? I think it's going to be a little bit different because of the defensive line. Like you said, I think this defensive line brings the impact to a whole defensive unit where you don't have to send six. You don't have to send an extra person because this defensive line will literally get after this quarterback alone. So you can put more eyes on the ball. You keep, that's where the picks come in. The picks, I like my DB coaches always used to say, if you catch a pick and man, did you, you either played it extremely well or you did something wrong. The quarterback made a mistake. Um, <laughs> So, you know, playing the zones and the fire zones from cover three, uh, cover three blitz, all that different thing, all those different type of, you know, variations of cover two that you can do is to get that half a second, that quarterback to hiccup, and then you know your defensive line is going to get there, or that quarterback's going to be like, oh, I thought this person was coming by the time they turn, they're throwing the ball and it's a pick. So I think that's what's really going to be the difference of not having to send as many people extra outside of our defensive line. Do you have a preferred position? Everybody was asking that. I think um, I like playing nickel. Um, I love being around in the box. I love, you know, like I always say, I love taking on guards. I love filling gaps. I love being able to know what defense we're in and knowing, okay, this gap is getting taken over by this defense alignment. So I got to get over top so he can, so, so I can make him right if possible, if he needs to be. Um, but I think nickel, it's, you know, it's a key component of a defense, being able to play the not only guard a slot in, you know, those quick game routes, which a slot usually does, but also being able to be that third linebacker where they usually like to attack if it's a smaller guy because they think, okay, if we, you know, keep him one-on-one with a running back, our running back's going to win. But, you know, a safety that goes down to play nickel is kind of like he, he really wants to be there. It's not just a dude who's just covering so you got some reps at running back when I think you first broke into the league with, with Carolina. You played there in high school and put up some big numbers in New Jersey. Um, don't think you played any running back in college, but how, how serious was that? Like, how, how, how legitimate or how serious was that where they're like, hey, play running back? Are, were they giving you like a serious look or what, what was that all about? Yeah, so actually Coach Rule, who was my head coach for the three years at first, um, recruited me at running back and when he was at Temple. So they oh, knew okay. I could play running back going into the league. Um, and in college, I was I was a punt returner when AJ was out for a few weeks and stuff like that. So I still had the the abilities to run with the ball and stuff like that. Um, and then the numbers that I put up at, uh, at our pro day, everybody seeing that I can still, you know, change direction and all these different things. Um, but, yeah, when I got there, uh, it was COVID. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the tryouts and all the, the people bringing people in was kind of to a halt. So we were looking for they were looking for people during camp to be like, OK, what positions can you play? Um, so I went over there. Coach Rule was like, hey, we're going to have you at running back after practice. I go over there, do a couple of drills. It was like second nature. I was like, oh, boom, boom, <laughs> you know, being able being able to hit the bags and, you know, stuff like that. Go off for a route, catch a catch a path. It just felt like second nature because um, I start I played running back all the way from my first time playing football until, you know, freshman year of college. So I kind of had a long time of playing running back. Um, but, yeah, so the, 
the summer went through and I was the third running back. It was Christian, Mike Davis, me and Nick and uh, uh, um, and Cannon. Um, it was us, you know, playing that, that third position. And, you know, I balled out one. I remember one one because it wasn't a preseason. It was a scrimmage. We um, during COVID, we just scrimmaged each other. And I was I literally had a different jersey on. Everybody had a blue and a white. I had a or I had an orange jersey on. And I would go in at running back. Teddy would be like, boom, this to play. I carry the ball, score a touchdown, spike the ball, came back, caught a pick against Teddy. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> so, so I really it helped me realize like be available for anything that could come to you. Cause that's what's going to keep me in the league. No matter if it's, you know, special teams, safety, corner, dime. You know, if I got to go play Mike Backer for just, you know, safety, you know, something happens, I'm willing to do whatever, whatever helps the team. I've always been that team player to the team is bigger than me at that moment. It's kind of wild. That entire backfield you just listed has either played or currently plays for the 49ers. Mike yeah. Davis and yeah. Trent Cannon and yep. you and, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, well, Christian, Christian McCaffrey now in the 49ers backfield, Sam Darnold signed there. They traded for Zane Gonzalez, Steve Wilkes, of course, there. How does does that help your transition at all going to a new team, knowing that you've got you know four guys there already that that you know? Yeah, being able to see a familiar face is always always nice because uh, you know those first few weeks you're kind of trying to fill everybody out, see everybody's energy because you don't want to like be that wild guy and be stepping on people's toes, you know, cracking jokes where this person's a serious person. You're like, I think I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, so just being able to, you know, get to get around the guys that you know and you've talked to for the last three three years uh, will be it will definitely be good. Um, just being able to see those familiar faces. What's it like practicing against Sam Darnold from from your perspective as as a defensive guy? It's obviously somebody highly drafted. Kyle Shanahan talked about it today at the owners' meetings that he's just he's still a super talented guy and he and he's played a lot. Not won a bunch of games. Wasn't on a lot of great teams, obviously, but just like how, how do you view Sam Darnold and 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 given that you practice against him so often in training camp? He's a true professional, a dude who comes in day in and day out, no matter of the situation. Just like in this past year, he could have easily given up and been like, you know what, I'm like I'm done. Like he had the ankle injury and then still kept it professional the whole time. And I truly applaud him because a lot of people wouldn't have had the mental strength and the mental and just the professionalism to withstand all that heat that he was taking. Um, and Sam, you know, it's sometimes, you know, playing safety, you try to trick him. Uh, and then that nickel, you try to trick him, but he knows most of the time, like, I, I knew you were coming or I knew you were dropping in the zone. So you could tell his film study and, you know, his, um, his ability to read was, was up there with the best. Um, and just his uh, the way he approaches every day is like is it's just fun. It's fun to him. It's not it's not always oh serious, serious, serious. So you know when you talk to Sam, you can talk to him about anything and have fun with him. And you know that's all you ask for in a in a quarterback. Those these last two years was just being able to have someone you can go and talk to because there's some quarterbacks I know most people don't even want to go talk to because it's like I don't know how he's going to take what I say to him right now. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the, one of the other guys you're obviously super familiar with is Steve Wilkes. You mentioned he was your position coach last year in Carolina. Then he became the interim head coach. Mm-hmm. What I, I have I have two Steve Wilkes questions, but I'll ask the first one first. What 
what do you what can we expect to see from his defense? Like what's his defensive philosophy like? Uh, a lot of fire zones, um, a lot of different ways of of different variations of different coverages. So cover twos, cover threes, things like that. Um, one thing you'll always probably once everybody gets to know him, DB room, defensive line, uh, d- linebackers, they'll always talk about the weapons, eyes, hands, hips and feet that he lives on it. He'll tell anybody that when he came to interim head coach or, or offense was saying it. So literally that's, that's his biggest thing. And you can tell um, when you start really diagnosing a play, it's one of those things. If it was a good play, one of those things was extremely good. If it was a bad play, you messed up on one of the, one of those weapons, mm. so, um, you know, you know, and then also the way he um, teaches is probably one of the best that I've been around. He really, um, takes it as if you don't know anything and really teaches you, okay, what's the, like the, what can hurt this defense? So you understand, okay, if you don't make, if you don't make this right, it's going to hurt our defense totally. Or who, cause he always says somebody has the hat on their head every play. So mm-hmm. you got to understand when the hat's on your head, what you ha- what are you responsible for? And when this person has the hat on the head, how do you make his, how do you make his job easier? So, um, He's definitely been someone who I've learned not only on the field, but off the field, how to carry myself. Um, Cause you know, during, you know, his career, just being a coach has been a, a, a wild one and, right. you know, Carolina coming back to Carolina, Arizona, all the different things that he's been through. Um, and to come back every day and work, like he was going to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We, it, it was beautiful to see. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask about next. You guys were one and four uh, after losing to the Niners. Matt Rule gets let go. Steve Wilkes comes in. You guys go six and six and really start playing really good football. How much did his, um, how much did him being the interim head coach affect that turnaround? I think everybody just started to believe in the message. Um, mm. I don't think it was pretty. You know, we had no, we didn't really have anybody come in. It was all guys that were there. You know, we got, you know, Christian left. Um, Baker ended up leaving. A few players end up going other places. Um, Robbie left. So it was kind of the same core pieces that we had. It was more of making everything simple and letting everybody go play and really be good at the things that we were doing. So that was the offense with the run game and the play actions coming off, you know, um, um, just being able the special teams playing as a whole, you know, he really harped on everybody touches everybody. Offense touches defense, special team touches both sides, you know, field position. You know, he really, you know, he everybody really accepted the message and accepted the challenge to go finish the season and finish it the right way. Not just like, okay, you know, we lost our coach. Always like, what's the excuse? Like, okay, we're doing bad because of this. We're doing bad because of this. No, why don't we, change the narrative and write our own narrative for this season. That's what, that's what it really was. I'm curious what it's like for a player, a defensive player who's, who's going up against the Kyle Shanahan offense and what that, that, what that week of preparation is and how unique it is um, relative to other offense. I guess it's maybe less unique these days because there's so many coaches off the quote unquote, you know, coaching tree that are running similar schemes. But mm-hmm. like when you th- when you prepared for Kyle Shanahan's offense and you looked at the tape, what were the things that really stood out to you? Just like you said, it is 
like a lot of coaches do a lot of things, but it's still a unique offense regardless. Because, again, we don't play – we didn't play San Fran every year. We didn't play them twice a year. So playing them that one game, it was like uh, our heads were spinning. Like we had – like we had – we literally got done with our game before that and we were like, you know what, we're coming in on uh, – Shaq was like, we're coming in early on Monday, Tuesday, off day. Everybody was in there trying to get this – just the run game down. We're like, we got this, we got the fullback going this way, tight end going this way, running back going here, there's a bubble here. It was so much going on that was eye candy, but then it was split backs. It was not sure, you know, you could go from having a, you know, you think it's going to be a spread formation, but then you got, you know, no, you think it's going to be like a, a, a pro formation with a fullback, running back, tight end, and then you got the fullback who's out at the slot, and then you got a tight end that split out. So then you're like, what defense do we call? You can't call man because then you got a, a linebacker out at one against Kittle. And then it's like, yo, who, how do you cover this? How do you, what defenses do you call to stop this offense? So it was really, so, so that week was really just play simple stuff, staying kind of stay in zone, run man when we, when we knew it was going to be 11 personnel and stuff like that. But um, you really had to, everybody had to do their job. It couldn't be, oh, I'm trying to make a play. Oh, I'm trying to go do this. Because once you think you're going to make a play, that ball will hit you right down, right down your gut and go for 60. Um, but it was definitely a – what's the word? It's, it was definitely like a um, like a do-your-job type of game. Like don't try to do somebody else's job. Do your job. What Was that – like does that factor in when you're making a free agency decision? Like, man, I went against this offense. I, I think we – you know, obviously the Niners have had success and they went to the NFC Championship game last year. But do you think about like, man, just what Kyle does is so unique that like it would be cool to be on that team. So, you know, not only do I think that offense can be successful, but also like maybe I don't, I, I don't really have to worry about going against it. <laughs> maybe outside <laughs> of training camp. I think uh, one of the things I said for like you know joining this team and playing against uh, practice against the offense is because it's it's so unique that playing other offenses will be so much simple, and you know everybody has their 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 crazy things that they do, but it was like every play we were like what's coming next, um, and then also the the offensive players being able to go up against them at practice. And being able to ask them, be like, because, you know, in the game, you're just guarding this person. They go back to the huddle. You go back to your huddle. In the practice, I can be like, okay, I played you this way. How would, how did that how did that make it hard for you? How did that make it easier? So then when I go play, you know, if I'm guarding Kittle at practice, he could tell me X, Y, Z, do this better. Boom. I go do it in the game. I can go to him like, yo, bro, it worked. I appreciate you. Where you couldn't really do that, and then you go up against a Kittle, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, guy you're going to have to go up against twice a year now is DK Metcalf, your teammate at Ole Miss. Old teammate. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> um, he's definitely a, a, a man child. He's definitely a big, big, big man. Um, but DK's a, a, a hard worker. Ever since we came into Ole Miss together, he was a dude who we knew was going to the league. Him, AJ, they had the, the work ethic to go and make it big. Um, you know, that that we all came in and was the same recruiting class. That recruiting class is pretty good. We were like number two. And just out of that class, you just knew like those dudes were going to be special. And, you know, to go up against DK all, you know, two times a year is going to be cool. Um, and just to see him being successful in the league, we knew it. But then to see it is like, bro, 
like we applaud you like keep doing what you do and one thing you can know about dk is like he's gonna be dk no matter who is talking to him he's gonna be like who he is that's that's dk like what you see on social media that's him so <laughs> i really applaud him by staying true to himself what are your uh what are your expectations about moving to california being a new jersey guy and going to school in the south california seems uh seems pretty different I don't know, different, but far far oh, away from, from no, what it's, you're it's used different. to. It's okay, definitely different. different. <laughs> it's definitely different. Um, the one thing I keep hearing, everybody keeps talking about is these taxes. Uh, these taxes, the housing, um, yeah, all that stuff is, you know, uh, is going to be something to get get used to and see what where I will actually live and all that stuff. That's the one thing. Um, and then, you know, being from New Jersey and going down to Mississippi was a change. But then being in New Jersey and going across the country to California, um, the weather, um, it's going to be a change, uh, not having to really deal with snow. You know, I'm a snow guy, put my boots on snow jacket on, let's go outside. Um, which was cool. Um, but yeah, I think it would be a big change of finding what I, what I would like to do out there outside of football. Because sure. um, football, you're doing it every day, but you got to find something that, you know, when it was in Charlotte, it was me going for walks down in the, you know, I live right in the middle of town. So I would go to the park, do like some park walks, see what the entertainment they had at the park and stuff like that, or go to a, like a baseball game and stuff like that, or basketball game, and just finding something fun to do outside of football. I'll have to figure it out. Um, I'll probably take the OTAs times and because, you know, we only go like those Monday through Thursday and all that stuff. So on the weekend, be able to figure out like what to do outside of football. Are you a yeah. basketball fan? I am a basketball fan. I'm a so I'm a Kyrie fan. Wherever Kyrie is, that's why mm. I am. So right now, okay, I'm so a currently Dallas a big Mavs guy. guy. Yeah, so I'm a big Mavs guy right now. I was a Nets okay. guy. I was a Cleveland guy. I was a Celtic guy for a little bit, you know. <laughs> so I was hoping we were going to go to L.A., but, you know, we we, we in Dallas. <laughs> they're struggling okay. a little bit though they they are struggling but you know it, you know it, it is what it is you know Kyrie's still getting his <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh, i think that i think that's all we got for you we can i have uh, one last one i have oh, one more have question one last one. I have one okay more. go ahead have you been to in and out yet so when i went for the physical and everything i took a walk over there from the hotel and i was like what what is the hype i want to see what the hype is i got me a little burger tasted the salt is different. It's a different type of burger from a East Coast burger, I guess. No the, the sauce is different, all that. I said, can I get some sauce? And they give me this package. I'm like, I guess this is the sauce. Like, okay. <laughs> and then you yeah. see like, them actually like cutting the potatoes and in the back and all that stuff. I'm like, you. and then you didn't. One thing you don't really see nowadays is everybody in uniform. Like the hat, you know, <laughs> same shirt, same pants. I'm like, Yo, this is like back in the day where you went to like check checkers and they come over like Sonic and they came out on the roller skates and something like that, you know, with the same uniform on. So it was definitely, uh, I'll probably try one more time and give it, you know, I wasn't impressed that much, but I'll, I'll, I'll probably give it one more. So try. here's the thing. I have strong in and out takes. I really like in and out. A lot of it has to do with nostalgia. In and out is sort of like the first of the burger places that's not McDonald's, Burger King. And so, like, to me, it's like when I think of the like, because now there are tons of burger places that are all yeah. possible basically because of In and Out. Like, In and Out's yeah. kind of the OG, like, better burger spot than fast food. So, I, I give In and Out a lot of respect for that, but it, it comes under fire because people like some of the other spots better. 
So is there is it true that there's a secret menu or something like that? Yeah, you can just kind of ask for secret stuff. You can get like animal style and that's basically bro, like sauce and everything bro. that's on the burgers, on the fries. Like, bro, it's... you can get animal style fries. It's fries with cheese and the spread and grilled onions on top. That's delicious. Yo, don't, 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 don't tell the nutritionist or anything that I will be. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had, I can, I can speak from experience. The food, the food that they serve you guys is good. We've gotten it in training camp before. Oh. It is, uh, you, you guys will be all set. I, I, took one look in the you know i had the lunch during uh the physical and i'm like man they got this they got that you put this in there i'm like okay i can get used to this <laughs> give me a little salad and call it a day there you go awesome well hey miles well we'll let you go you've been super generous with your time man uh thank you so much for hopping on with us and uh, let's do it again appreciate it have a good one thanks right, miles man. congrats on the uh on the deal and best of luck going forward thank you